Thank you, worship team, uh, for that great music. Would you turn with me this morning, and it's been a good morning, to 2 Timothy chapter 4. I'd like to read just eight verses this morning uh, from 2 Timothy chapter 4, and that's on page 1180 in the Pew Bible in 1855 in a large print, if that's what you prefer. 2 Timothy chapter 4, I'll be reading verse 1 through 8. Let's give attention to God's word. In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, and in view of his appearing and his kingdom, I give you this charge. Excuse me. The music got to me today. (laughs) Okay. Uh, Carol, you didn't know it, but it's right here, right? Yeah. You picked out those songs months ago, weeks ago? I don't know. Can I start again? I'm sorry. In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, and in view of his appearing in his kingdom, I give you this charge. Preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. For the time will come when men will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. But you, keep your head in all situations, endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist, discharge all the duties of your ministry. For I am already being poured out like a drink offering, and the time has come for my departure. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. Let's take a minute to pray again. Father in heaven, you are glorious, and your dwelling place is glorious. And Jesus, you left that glorious place to come here to rescue us, to save us, to take us to that glorious place so that we could be with you forever. And Holy Spirit, we ask you now to teach us, to open up our eyes to see the glories of your kingdom that is already here but growing, and someday you'll return and bring it all here. May we see that glory the glory of that kingdom, so we let go of what is not valuable and cling only to that glorious kingdom, working and serving to see that day come. Help us, we pray, even now today, for your honor and glory. We ask this to be done. Amen. We're at the end of our sprint through 2 Timothy, and uh, these are important words that Paul wrote to Timothy that he knew Timothy needed to hear. Important words that God knew that you and I would need to hear for 2018 and whenever else all the saints through the centuries have been reading this passage and being encouraged by it. To help us hold on to Jesus in trusting dependence, no matter what comes our way, to pass on the hope of the gospel when times are good and when times are bad, to always be spreading the word of God, the hope of the gospel, wherever we are. 
Essentials for disciples. Boldness, not fear. Why? Because of the gospel. Because it's the only gospel that saves. It's the only gospel that frees. So don't be ashamed of the gospel, Timothy. Endure. Be strong in grace, Timothy. Be a mentor, Timothy. Find a good mentor, Timothy. Be a good mentor. Pass the word along to other people so that they can know the truth and pass along to others as well. Christ's grace enables us to be strong in his grace. Be an approved worker, Timothy, because you're in Christ. And we don't have time, but we did take a few minutes to talk about what in Christ means. We're united with Christ. We're we're buried with him, so our sins are taken away. And now we're raised with Christ so we can live for God and, and live his glory out in the world. We can do this by the grace of God, by the salvation that he's given us. So be an approved worker, Timothy. Don't be ashamed. Don't don't present your life in a way to Christ and live it in a way that you won't be ashamed. Pursue godly ways. Pursue godliness. Avoid that quarreling stuff. Avoid arguing about stupid issues. Avoid those things. And remember Korah, Numbers Numbers chapter 16? What happened to him and those who disregarded God and God's leadership, who quarreled and grumbled? Timothy, be faithful to Christ in the last days because terrible days are coming. Maybe they're already here, Timothy. They were for Timothy. They were for Paul. Terrible days go up and down. I think we've been cruising here, maybe in America. But hold on to God's word, Timothy. Be faithful and true and hold on to teachers who are faithful and consistent. That brings us to today. Thinking about God. We've been singing about his glories. We've been singing about how holy he is and worthy to be worshipped and followed and loved. So when you think about God, it should change the way we think. And if it changes the way we think, then it's going to change the way we live our lives, how we speak to other people, what we say to them, how we pray. It's going to change how we act towards sinners. It's going to change the way how, how we act towards sinning saints. I hope that's us today, sinning saints. And maybe a little less sin as time goes on. In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, and in view of his appearing and his kingdom, I give you this charge. To keep Jesus's view, the view of Jesus' return and his kingdom in our minds so that it inspires faithfulness, so it inspires endurance, so it inspires faithful telling of the good news of Christ. So in view of Jesus' returning kingdom, point one, Paul's charge, preach the word. You know, that's a sobering charge if you think about it. You're in God's presence. Sometimes I forget that. How about you? Oh, yeah, Jesus just saw me do that. (laughs) He just saw me think that. That's kind of sobering. In view of God's presence and of Jesus Christ, they're here with us. And then he adds to it this personal return. 
In view of Jesus' return and his kingdom, it's this face-to-face meeting. It's like I never had to go to the principal's office for a bad reason. I was too chicken to do bad stuff in class to have to go there. But you know what it's like sitting outside the office of somebody that's in authority and you don't really want to see them? Well, think about who we're about to meet, Jesus, face-to-face. That's sobering. And then he adds to that serious picture the heightened truth that Jesus is going to judge everybody, the living and the dead, believers and unbelievers. The great white throne judgment, when the book of life is open and and, and Jesus looks at it and he judges based on what we've done. And by the way, uh, by what we've done, because faith or no faith, what you believe in drives what you do. So our works show where our faith and trust is. So that's why he judges our works, because they show what we really believe. If we believe Jesus is the Christ and he's worth dying for and living for and obeying or not. All believers are going to be giving an account. We will all appear before Christ. So in view of that, sobering, terrifying, but inspiring, picture of the kingdom's coming. What should I be doing? I give you this charge, Timothy. Preach the word. Why should I preach the word? Because it's valuable. Because it brings us to faith. It's useful. It corrects. It teaches. It trains. It points us to righteousness so that we're ready to do good works. It keeps us in the faith. It exposes false teaching. It it enables us to face persecution and be strong because it keeps me on mission. Oh, yeah, I'm here. I'm not in heaven yet because God wants me to do something, to bring someone else along, to live for him and just obey. That's the first charge. Preach the word. And then the second one is be prepared in season and out of season. The word there just means take a position of readiness. I don't do that. But be ready all the time, Timothy. It's a permanent part of your life. I love what one commentator said, since sinners are always in season, (laughs) be prepared with the word of truth to help them to find Christ and to grow in Christ. It's never a bad time to live the word of God and to speak the word of God by how you live and how you say it. If you have your Bibles, turn to 1 Peter chapter 3, and I don't know what page number that is in the Pew Bible if you're following along, but in 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 15 and 16, these verses might be familiar to you, but let me read them. 1 Timothy 3, 1 Timothy, 1 Peter 3, 15 and 16. But in your heart set apart Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. I love that picture. So it's not just being ready by what I say, but 
it's being ready by how I say it and how I'm living my life so that what I say and how I say it is consistent. They mesh together to give a full testimony to reveal the truth because they see the truth in my life and they hear the truth in what I say and how I say it. This opportunity to show and tell the gospel of Christ. Are you ready? You know, you are with those people. Maybe you more than me. Because I spend a lot of time in an office with nice people. But you're out there with them in their workplace, in the schools, on the ball fields, in community groups, and, and those people in your neighborhood. And I have people in my neighborhood, too, that we need to get to know, to prayerfully ask God to help us to look for those opportunities to just love them, to be kind to them, so that we can be ready to speak a word of the hope of the gospel when God gives us those opportunities. Part of, I believe, my calling is to prepare you to do the works of ministry. But I have to ask this question, have I prepared you in any way to do that work? Am I showing you how to do that work? Can I do it better? Learning to create space so that when those big issues of life come up with people you work around and live around that don't know Christ, that there might be an opportunity to speak God's truth and show his kindness to them. And it's small steps. As a congregation, we're in a place where we're worried about big steps. But we take big steps by small steps. And those small steps are the people that you are around that need to know Christ and asking God to help you speak into their lives. You walk your dog with them. You have a barbecue with them. You hang out with them the way Jesus came to hang out with us so that we could have life. You love them that much. Who will you begin to nurture in a faith-building relationship with today? Could be somebody here. And then as you build up your relationship together in here, in this place, you prepare each other to do it out there. And you don't have to do it alone. Do it together. Pray together for those people that God wants us to reach. Charges 3, 4, and 5. Correct, rebuke, and encourage. In view of the false teachers that are out there, Timothy, you need this strong ministry. And do it with great patience and careful instruction. Do it the right way. Say it the right way. Say the right stuff. Speak well. Speak clear. Be sharp. Be gentle as you say it. Here's how I put it in the Christian vernacular. That means common, everyday language. Don't be a snot, know-it-all, preachy, holier-than-thou kind of person. Know what you believe and be known for how well you treat others when discussing God's truth. It's all necessary. 
because it's God's truth and it's relevant for every generation. Do you think our generation's any worse than the generation that lived in Noah's time? Cannot God's truth penetrate there? Might not seem like it's doing much, but it will save. It must be preached because true doctrine's being rejected. People have itching ears. That's a metaphor, but they're their itching ears want to hear lies, and their real ears hear lies and accept it as true, and we need to correct that. So you, Timothy, verse 5, but you, Timothy, keep your head in all situations. Do the work of the ministry. God's word's the plumb line, the straight line that shows us what to do. I won't take time to do it today, but in Revelation chapter 2, Timothy worked at Ephesus. I think he did a very good job because one of the things they were commended for was how they held to the truth. There were some things they didn't do so well, but they held to the truth. So Timothy did his job passing on this truth and, and, and helping them discern as a congregation. Forty years later, Jesus said, you're doing so well. You understand the truth of the doctrine, but you've left your first love. What happens when you and I speak God's word well? What do you expect to see? People who do really well in doctrine pass the doctrine test? When God's word's properly taught, really important doctrine, truth, but God's never satisfied with passing a doctrinal test. He's more worried about how we behave I want to take a moment just to turn to a very familiar passage to many of us, Matthew chapter 25. It's when Jesus has come back and he's judging the world, and Jesus is speaking here in Matthew 25, and I pick up at verse 34 of that chapter, Matthew 25. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry or feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? And the king will reply, tell you the truth, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers of mine, you did for me. Now, that, he goes on there. This is the judgment of the goats and the sheep, but the, the sheep's the good side. I don't know why the goats get bad press here. But you want to be a sheep. And they're both judged not on what they know, but what they did because of what they believed. If they believed Jesus was the Christ, then they did the works of Christ. Their actions were driven by their true or false doctrines. They were saved by faith, and only those who live by faith are blessed by Christ. So Jesus, God, is as interested in what I know and believe. That's important. It's a must. You have to have good doctrine, the truth, to live the truth, to live well. But if actions don't follow it, then it's worthless, as James says. It doesn't take 
a real smart person to realize what's not on the list. Church attendance wasn't mentioned. Tithing amounts, committees served on, music skills used in the worship service, or Bible lessons taught. These things are not on a do not do list. As a matter of fact, those are good things to do, to build up the body of Christ, to help people grow in their faith. But just don't think of ministry as happening here. It happens out there. That's where real ministry happens. Preparing for ministry happens here. Encouragement happens here. Building up in faith happens here. But ministry happens mostly out there. Take this list literally, people. I better get moving on. I don't want to hammer this too hard, but take it literally. You know people who are in prison. They might not be behind bars, but they're imprisoned by their pride, by their chasing after the things of this world. They're going the wrong way, and they're imprisoned by them. They don't know it, and they need you to come into their lives and help them at least hear of how they can escape through Jesus Christ, grace and forgiveness, because he died for our sins to save us from it all. And that can be costly. In the book of Revelation, chapter 6, people... Uh, when God, when, when the fifth, excuse me, when the fifth seal was opened, Jesus is speaking to them, and I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain because of the word of God and the testimony they had maintained, and they called out in a loud voice, how long, sovereign Lord, Lord, holy and true, until you judge the inhabitants of the earth and avenge our blood. And, and they were just told, wait a little bit longer. It could be costly to be identified with Jesus. And we may not be in that costly place right now where we die for Jesus, but do we dare defend the foreigner who's taken advantage of because they don't know the language or the culture here? Do we dare go out of our way to make strangers feel like they are one of us? That they can be our friend? Is the USA their foreign land? It could be Havertown. I know what it feels to be like a stranger in Havertown. Make them feel welcome, those new people that come into the neighborhood. The rock or this building could be the foreign land. Make them feel welcome because they're strangers here. They don't know the culture. They don't know what this guy up here is doing. What does it all mean? Help them understand it. Do we dare defend the weak against the strong? Because if we do defend the weak who are being bullied or strong-armed by the, by the strong, the strong will get angry with us because they're losing their influence, their power, etc. In 1 John, the apostle wrote this, verse 15, 1 John 2. Do not love the world or anything in the world. If you, anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For everything in the world, the craving of sinful man, the lust of his eyes, and the boasting of what he has does not come from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away, but the man who does the will of God lives forever. 
I need to ask myself if I'm in step with Jesus on this. Am I bringing the kingdom of God in some small way to this broken world? Do people get a taste of Christ's kingdom because Grace Chapel and its people are giving it to them? John Piper, one of those long-distance mentors of mine, says this, it's not heavenly mindedness that hinders love. It is worldly mindedness that hinders love, even when it's disguised by religious routine on the weekend. Where's the person whose heart is so passionately in love with the promised glory of heaven that he feels like an exile and a sojourner on earth? Where's the person who has tasted the beauty of the age to come so the diamonds of the world look like marbles and the entertainment of the world is empty and the moral causes of the world are too small because they have no view to eternity? Where is that person? Only one thing satisfies the heart whose treasure is in heaven, doing the works of heaven, and heaven is a world of love. It's not the cords of heaven that bind the hands of love. It's the love of money and leisure and comfort and praise. These are the cords that bind the hands of love, and the power to sever those cords is Christian hope. It's Jesus Christ. It's the gospel of God, the word of God. Because Jesus is coming in person with his kingdom, preach the word. Spend a lot of time there. It's okay. I'm almost done. In view of Jesus' return, and in view of the glories of his kingdom, what does Paul say in his testimony? Finish the race. Look at verses 6 through 8 again. For I am already being poured out like a drink offering, and the time has come for my departure. I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also who, long, who have longed for his appearing. Paul talks about a departure. The word there means to unloose. So it was a picture, a word used when you untie a big boat or a ship from the moorings on a dock. It's when an army would break camp, and the old term was strike the tent, take the tent down. And Paul's saying, the time for my tent. I'm ready to leave this body, he was saying. I'm ready to go, leave this body tent, and be present with my God. So he's talking about departure. He talks about his life summary in three words. I fought the good fight. I finished the race. I've kept the faith. I really believe this is an athletic picture, okay? I fought the good fight, I fought, I made every effort. I finished the race, I competed well. I've kept the faith, I did not foul out. (laughs) I didn't break the rules, I followed God and I obeyed, I loved him. Not perfectly, but he did these things and he's anticipating a great reward and that reward, that crown that he's talking about is the word used for the laurel wreath that Olympic athletes got. You know, not a crown like a king wears of gold, but just a laurel wreath made out of whatever uh, branches they, they put together. Do I long for Jesus' appearing? If I do, I'm going to be 
busy preparing the way for his appearing. Getting people ready to meet Jesus the way John the Baptist did. And again, it's small steps. I can act godly toward people. I can tell them about Jesus' salvation. I'll endure things no matter what it takes so that someone can hear the good news, the salvation message that Jesus died for their sins, that he was buried and took their sins away, that he was raised to life, and if I believe in him, I'll be raised to life too. So Paul has this this testimony is this, fight the good fight, finish the race. In view of Jesus' returning kingdom, Paul makes a request, several requests. And I love this at the end of this chapter. We didn't read it. We're going to take a minute to read a few verses now, but it reveals hopeful living. Because he knew Jesus was coming back. He knew God's kingdom was going to be amazing and glorious. So he lived hopefully. He's talking about dying departing, but he's still talking about living. Look at verse 9. Do your best to come to me quickly, for Demas, because he loved this world, has deserted me and has gone to Thessalonica. Cretans has gone to, to Galatia and Titus to Dalmatia. Only Luke is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you, because he is helpful to me in my ministry. I sent Tychicus to Ephesus, and when you come, bring the cloak that I left with Carpus at Treos and my scrolls, and especially the parchments. Alexander, that, I added that, the metal worker did me great, a great deal of harm. The Lord will repay him for what he's done. You too should be on your guard against him because he strongly opposed our message. I love this because Paul is ready to die. He has a strong walk with Jesus, but you know what? He still needs people. I mean, there is melancholy in his voice here. Everyone's deserted me, only Luke's with me. It's not that Luke was a bad guy to be around, I don't think. It's just that I'm alone here. So, Timothy, get here fast and bring Mark. And that's a happy story because this John Mark guy was a guy who deserted him years ago, and now he's inviting him back. That's wonderful. You know, Mark left because it was too tough. It was dangerous or something, so he left Paul and Silas on his first missionary journey. But now Mark's happy to come and look for Paul, even though it could cost him his life to be identified with this apostle of this new way, the Jesus way, the Christian way. And yet Mark was willing to come. That's great. What a great story. Bring the cloak. I'm cold. Bring the scrolls. I want to study. He's talking about dying, but he's still talking about living. If there's life, there's hope. Are you here today? Then God's not done with you. And you might be able to do greater things from here to the end of your life than you've done up to this point. Whether you're 20 or 80. And if you're older than 80, that's wonderful. God's not done with you yet. So live in hope because, you know, Jesus is coming back in a glorious way and his kingdom is amazingly glorious. Let me let go of the things that are less valuable to cling to what is valuable. He's thinking about others. (laughs) Watch out for Alexander, that metal worker. 
<laughs> he's worried about them, even though he's about to die. Let me just say this. Let's not pretend we're stronger than we really are. So don't be embarrassed to come up here after the service if you need prayer. Or pray with somebody in your proof. Let's not be ashamed of our weaknesses. Paul wasn't. He's talking big about meeting Jesus and finishing the race well and put up the good fight. But he's also admitting, I need you. Come help me. One other thing I need to do is take a minute for Demas. As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. For he knows how we are formed, and he remembers that we are dust. Aren't you glad God remembers that you're dust, weak, and frail, stumble, betray, deny, silent when you should speak, and speaking when you should be silent? We don't know if Demas left the gospel for good or if he came back. Maybe he was a John Mark story where like Barnabas came alongside and encouraged him and brought him back. So now at the end of his life, Paul's saying, the kid I didn't want with me several years ago on the missions trip because he was just a drain, I need him now. Bring Mark, he's really useful to me. Is there a Demas among us today? that's ready to quit and they need you to come alongside them. Maybe they're sitting next to you. Do you know them well enough to ask? And would you dare to help them? Take the time to care. Maybe you're the Demas. You've looked at this stuff and you're not sure Jesus is worth it. You're not sure these people are worth hanging around and you'd rather go out there and experience the world rather than the kingdom of God and, and, and suffer for it. Let me just say, let's, let's talk about that. Let's pray together about that. Let's rethink. Because the world's passing away. The kingdom of God is not. Look at verse 16. At my defense, no one came to my support, but everyone deserted me. May it not be held against them. <laughs> but the Lord stood at my side and gave me strength so that my message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. And I was delivered from the lion's mouth. And the Lord will rescue me from every evil attack and will bring me safely to his heavenly kingdom. To him be glory forever and ever. Amen. The ultimate deliverance. In this age, God rescues his people from some harm, but not all harm. And that's comforting to know, because otherwise we might conclude from our harm that he's forgotten us or rejected us. Again, I'm talking from John Piper. He shares this. From, in Acts chapter 16, Paul and Silas were not delivered, but in verses 25 through 26, they were delivered. First, no deliverance, says this. They seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace, verse 19, Acts 16. 
The magistrates tore the garments off them, verse 22. They inflicted many blows upon them, verse 23. The jailer fastened their feet in stocks, verse 24. But then deliverance. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken, and immediately all the doors were open and everyone's bonds were unfastened. God could have stepped in sooner, but he didn't, and he had his reasons. He loves Paul and Silas. A question for you. If, your plot life, if you plot your life along this timeline of Paul's initial suffering and later deliverance, where are you? Are you in a stripped and beaten stage or the unshackled door flung open stage? But both are God's stages of care for you. He has not left you or forsaken you. If you're in the fettered stage, don't despair, sing. Freedom is on the way. It's only a matter of time, even if it comes through death. Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. I hope you have that hope about being delivered. No matter where you are, are you bound up or are you free right now? God working his best for you. Believe and trust him. One last final thought. Greet Priscilla and Aquila and the household of Onesiphorus. Erastus stayed in Corinth, and I left Trophimus sick in Miletus. Do your best to get here before winter. Second time he said that. Do your best to get here soon. The Lord be with your spirit. Grace be with you. You want to be an approved worker? Then dare be identified with the gospel and Paul. Simple things can be costly, like bringing a cloak to a friend. It takes time. Bring those books. It could cost you your, your freedom or your life. And Demas thought it was too much. So did Phygelus and Hermogenes back in chapter 1. Would you have gone to see Paul taking that long walk just to get him a coat, some parchments? We don't even know if Timothy got there before Paul was killed for the gospel. But it was labor prompted by love, and that's all God's asking us to do. We always thank God for all of you, mentioning you in our prayers, and we continually remember before our God and Father your work produced by faith your labor prompted by love, and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. Timothy, Jesus is coming back. So in view of his return and his kingdom, preach the word. Be faithful to the gospel. It's essential. And you can do it by God's grace. Let's pray. Lord God, only you can make us holy people who love your kingdom and you more than anything else. So help us to love you. Lord, I ask you to help me to see your glory, to help us fear your terrible judgment that's coming on the world that doesn't know you so that it inspires us and moves us to teach and to love and to speak. Fill us with boldness because you have good news that you want the world to know. 
Save many, Lord, through the ministry of your word, through your people, that even this week, we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.